0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So it's a holiday classic that uh, many families consider part of their Christmas tradition. It's something that's been airing for goodness, uh, a little over 50 years. Uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas, originally airing in 1965, uh, is a famous American tradition. And what's interesting about A Charlie Brown Christmas, though probably many of you have seen it, or if you haven't even seen it, you've heard about it, uh, what's interesting is originally when it was first being written and the first cuts were being shown to the producers and the networks, uh, they didn't like it. Uh, for the most part, the producers of the show, uh, many of them thought that this would be the end of Charlie Brown. Uh, they thought that this kind of Christmas show would be too depressing for a general American audience. And if you've seen a Charlie Brown Christmas, you'll know that about 80% of the movie is Charlie Brown being depressed about Christmas. And so mo- many of the producers, the, uh, the networks who are gonna be airing it, started to think this, this might not go so well. And here we are 50 years later, still an iconic Christmas classic. And so what I want to show you right now, I want to show you one of my favorite clips from the entire, the entire show. And uh, it's the clip where Sally, Charlie Brown's little sister, describes to her big brother what her Christmas list is. So check this out.
1: I've been looking for you, big brother. Will you please write a letter to Santa Claus for me? Well, I don't have much time. I'm supposed to get down to the school auditorium and direct a Christmas play. You write it and I'll tell you what I want to say. Okay, shoot. Dear Santa Claus, how have you been? Did you have a nice summer? How is your wife? I have been extra good this year, so I have a long list of presents that I want. Oh, brother. Please note the size and color of each item and send as many as possible. If it seems too complicated, make it easy on yourself. Just send money. How about 10s and 20s? 10s and 20s? Oh, even my baby sister. All I want is what I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share.
0: You gotta love Sally. Um... Uh, that scene, I, I love how Sally starts her letter to Santa with like these sweet nothings, you know, like, how's your wife? Hope she's doing well. So here's my gift list, uh, nice smooth transition. And uh, this, this scene just represents in one way, Charlie Brown's frustate, frustration with the Christmas season. He's trying to figure out what is Christmas really all about? Because everywhere he turns, whether it's his dog, his friends, or his little sister, for everyone, Christmas is all about stuff. It's commercial. It's materialistic. And he's wondering, is this really what Christmas is all about? And here's what I have a feeling the producers and the networks missed when they said that this will never go, that this will die, this will be the end of Charlie Brown. Here's what I think they may have missed: is that many of us can relate to Charlie Brown. Many of us can associate with that feeling of going through the busyness of the holiday season, the days leading up to Christmas with parties and gift shopping, and Christmas cards, and getting the house decorated, and and all this stuff. We can find ourselves so busy that we start to wonder. wait. Really, is this what Christmas is all about? Is it all this stuff? Is this really what describes what Christmas is? Is Christmas just a feeling? And Charlie Brown really captures something. There's something that Charlie Brown taps into, and it's why I think here we are today, still talking about it 50 years later. We can relate. We do wonder, is this really what Christmas is all about? And so what I want to do today is I want to look in Micah chapter 5 and see how this passage written about 700 or so years before the first Christmas day, think about that, 700 plus years before Jesus is ever born, Micah gives this spectacular description of the significance of Christmas in the form of a prophecy, in the form of a prediction, inspired by God, Micah says, this is what Christmas is going to be about. This is this ruler, this Messiah who's coming. This is who he is. And the way we relate this to Charlie Brown, I, I have a feeling that every single person in this room, if, if you're anything like me, when we look at a, a movie like Charlie Brown Christmas, and sure it's depressing half, uh, for 80% of the movie, for 80% of the show, but it points to the reality that our souls are hungry for something. Our souls are hungry for something. We, we want purpose. We want love. We want significance in life. We want our lives to matter. We want to spend our years in a way that's productive. There's this longing in us. It's innate. Uh, we didn't have to train ourselves to be that way. There's a hunger for something more. And oftentimes the way that expresses itself at Christmas time is we hunger for more and more stuff. And so Micah chapter 5 is going to give us a different way. It's going to be a different solution to the hungry human soul. And so I want to show you Micah chapter 5, starting in, verse th- starting in verse 3. Here's what he says. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. So Micah is writing this passage. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we talked about how uh, Micah starts in this section to describe how in the midst of their situation in Israel, which was not very good, there was an Assyrian army that was impending. It was not a, a good, hopeful time. Micah delivers this message of hope to them, saying there's going to come a ruler, Someone is going to come who will be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to make all of this right. This ruler is going to come and deliver his people, and we know that ruler to be Jesus, the one that he promised. And so now he continues to describe what this ruler, what this Messiah is going to be like. And he describes this ruler, describes this Messiah in terms of a shepherd. He uses shepherd imagery, a shepherd and his sheep, to describe the kind of person, the kind of character, the task that this Messiah, that this ruler will have. Now, interestingly enough, shepherds throughout the Bible are often, often used as a metaphor. They're often used as a metaphor for a king or a monarch, a great ruler, who leads his sheep, who leads his flock. But what's what's interesting is that shepherds in reality, instead of shepherds as a metaphor, shepherds in reality are kind of looked down on in the Bible. Uh, They're kind of looked down on in the times and the culture in which the Bible is written. Shepherds weren't of the highest class. Shepherds weren't necessarily the kind of people that you uh, wanted to hang out with. They weren't uh, popular. They didn't smell good. They hung out with sheep. And so shepherds, interestingly, in reality are kind of looked down on, but as a metaphor, they're used to represent kings. And so Micah begins to use this kind of language to describe who this shepherd is, to to describe who this coming Messiah is, what he would do. And there's this interesting pattern all throughout scripture. God has this fascination with shepherds. You can go throughout the Bible and you can see time after time, there's a shepherd and his sheep all throughout the scriptures. Really, you can read it as a narrative. The whole story you can read of different shepherds leading people, leading flocks. And so if you've ever heard the story before, if you remember the story from your childhood, in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter two the traditional Christmas story uh, is, is uh, the story where shepherds are out in a field and angels appear to them. And so I want to read this story to you. Uh, listen to what this says, Luke chapter 2, where we encounter some more shepherds. Listen to what this says. And in the same region near Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds, after being terrified, after realizing the significance of what was just said, that there's good news of great joy for all people, that a savior has been born in Bethlehem, the shepherds respond by saying, let's go to Bethlehem and see what's happened because the Lord has made this known to us. Now, you've uh, been to parties or thrown parties or attended a wedding or someone's graduation party, something that commemorates and celebrates a significant event. And typically when someone has this kind of event, they put on their invitation list people they want to be there. Uh, usually the standard is you like that person. Uh, If you don't like them, sometimes we leave them out. Uh, And so we invite the people that we want to be at said party, said celebration. Uh, On most occasions, you won't invite your mailman uh, to that kind of occasion. You invite purposely who you want to be there. Now, I want you to think about this. Of all the people on earth, of any class of person, of any category of person. God is making out his invitations for who would be at the birth of his son. The most significant moment in history. God is going to be born and he puts on his invite list a bunch of shepherds and their sheep. Of all the people, God wants shepherds to be there in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph and the baby. He even goes to great lengths. He, He sends a host of angels, a multitude of angels to talk to shepherds not a bunch of rulers, not wealthy, not the the elite, not the best known from around the world to come. He invites shepherds. And God was making a statement about this Messiah that right there when we view the nativity scene and we see Mary, Joseph, the baby and the animals and the shepherds and their sheep, when we view that, God wants us. He wants us to see something of who this Messiah is. There's something about Jesus. There's something about him that a shepherd is a perfect person to be the first witness to his birth. This same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem would grow up and years later declare, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for my sheep. And so Micah chapter 5 gives us two functions, two job uh, attributes of a shepherd, two things that this Messiah, this ruler, this shepherd is going to do related that, that this description of him as a shepherd fits well. And I want to show you these two functions of a shepherd. Here's the first function. The first function is that the good shepherd feeds his sheep with the right food. The good shepherd feeds his sheep with the right food. Look at verse 4, Micah 5, 4. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So describing this coming Messiah, this coming Savior, Micah describes him as one who's going to shepherd his flock. Now, that verb shepherd, the verb there that we get in our English Bibles that's translated shepherd his flock, is a verb that, uh, that most literally means feed. And one of the primary jobs of any shepherd is to lead, to shepherd his sheep to pasture, to allow them to feed, to, to give them nutrition. And this is what a shepherd does. And so the, the good shepherd, the one who's coming, feeds us with the right food, he leads us to pasture. Now, the other day, I was, uh, I was he- actually here at church, and uh, uh, I probably shouldn't have revealed that. Uh, I was here at church, and um, you'll get why in a moment. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sitting somewhere in the building, uh, and uh, let's just say a couple of days before, I started using this fitness app because I, I realized that you know I'd been gaining a couple, couple pounds, and you start watching what I eat, and I'm getting towards the age where it matters what you eat. Uh, I can't just you know eat whatever. So, anyways, I'm I'm chilling, and uh, somebody comes up to me and says, "Hey, uh, you look like you've gained some weight," and um, and uh, they're like, "Maybe daddy weight," you know. Uh, I'm a recent father, just be just uh, just had a son with my wife. So, so I'm like, you know, trying to keep a smile, trying trying to. Oh, I have actually, yes, a little bit. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Uh, and uh, I, and so I told him, I was like, yeah, I uh. I started this app, and I'm trying to you know, count what I'm eating and be cognizant of it, and I'm typing in so I know what's coming into my body, and I can see at the end of the day, wow, I really ate all that. And it's helped me very much, because here's what I know about myself. I know that I am very, very, very good at eating everything wrong. Uh, I, I am, I'm a professional at eating bad food. Uh, my natural inclination is to eat food that is fattening, eat food that is fried, to eat food, anything and everything with high calories. That's just what I desire. There's some things in life you gotta practice. There's some things in life you have to train for. Uh, eating unhealthy is not one of those for me. I, I, I'm just really good at eating all the wrong stuff. And I would venture to say that that is not only true for my physical diet, for my eating of food, but I would also say that the same thing is true about me spiritually. And I bet the same thing is true about you that it comes natural to us. Our natural inclination is to feed our souls with all the wrong stuff. That our natural tendency, the way we we were born really, is desiring certain things to satisfy us, desiring certain things for purpose and meaning and significance, looking to things or individuals to make us feel validated and justified. And those things, we look to them, even though those won't ever come close to satisfying us. We have a tendency... It's our natural inclination to try and feed ourselves with all the wrong things. And so the good shepherd comes and he takes us and he says, hey, you're feeding on all the wrong food. You're trying to satisfy, you're trying to find purpose and joy in life in something that doesn't satisfy. There's something better. And so let me ask you, what what is it that for you, what is it that you're feeding your soul with? What is it that you're looking to to satisfy you? Maybe for you, you're, you're the person who's looking to a relationship or attention from another. Maybe for you, the thing that you're looking to to satisfy you, to make you feel purpose in life is someone else's attention or, or a relationship with someone. And again, relationships are great. We, we talk all, all, all the time around here about, at West Pines about how relationships are, are God's designed way in which we grow. But when we decide to look to a relationship with an individual human being to satisfy the deepest needs of our soul, We've placed a burden on that person they can't bear and they they're can't even come close to satisfying the needs we have. They have their own needs. And so what this might look like is going from relationship to relationship to relationship or perhaps the feeling of if I don't have someone, if there isn't someone giving me attention, if there isn't someone out there who, who is constantly thinking of me and talk, if there isn't that person in my life, then I'm almost incomplete. And so what that then does is it clouds our discernment. It clouds our judgment. We start to make decisions about people uh, and we don't listen to the wisdom of those around us. We say, oh no, I I know what's best. They don't see what I see about this person. And so we might look to a relationship to satisfy and fulfill us. This is so true, especially in in young adulthood when when people are, are desiring a spouse. They want someone to be with and desiring a spouse is a great thing. But when desiring a spouse becomes hungering and thirsting after someone to satisfy the deepest needs of our souls, that's when we start making decisions about anyone and everyone that aren't healthy, that lack discernment, that lack wisdom. And so the good shepherd begins to expose, hey, you're not meant to feed your soul with attention from others. There's something better. Maybe for you, it's not a relationship. Maybe for you, it's just stuff. Perhaps for you, you you look around and you see the people all around you driving nice cars and wearing nice things. And we live in South Florida where most everything is nice. And what's elevated and celebrated and praised in South Florida is is status. It says something about you, where you live, what you drive, and all these things. And again, there's nothing wrong with a car. There's nothing wrong with a nice house. There's nothing wrong with nice clothes or nice things. But when we start looking at stuff at things as though they're going to satisfy us. If we look at whatever that is for you, as though if I only have this, then I'll be happy. If I only have this much, if I only get here, if I only live there, if we can only get that kind of house or drive this, then I'll finally feel satisfied. And your hungry soul desiring for more and more will will go on this hamster wheel of wanting more and more and more and more. There's never enough, and there's always newer, and there's always better, and there's always more. And so the good shepherd begins to do this. He begins to expose that we're feeding our souls. We're trying to find joy and purpose in life in all the wrong places. The app that I'm using to try and watch what I'm eating, what I love about it is it tells me the content of the food that I'm eating. So I I can look, and I can see, well, there's that much fat in there. There's that much sugar in this. There's there's this much of each different item. And so what the app does is it exposes what I can't see with my own eyes. It exposes what's really inside the food. And what Jesus does, our good shepherd, he exposes quite often the things we're looking to to satisfy us in order to then move us to something that actually can. And so he'll do things and organize and orchestrate your life in such a way that he can show you and say, hey, this is, this is not healthy. There's nothing wrong with With things, there's nothing wrong with a relationship, but that's not gonna satisfy your soul. And so here's what he takes you to. Here's the food he gives you to. So for the person who's perhaps looking for a relationship, looking for the attention of another to satisfy their hungry souls, here's what the good shepherd says in Psalm 107, verse nine. He says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things, not Easy things, not fast things, not quick things, not expensive things. He fills with good things. And then Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love that David, the writer, is praying this beautiful poem. And he's writing and he's describing his good shepherd. He's describing God and he's saying, My shepherd is so good. I am so thoroughly satisfied by my good shepherd that I can say in all honesty, I shall not want. I have nothing else that I need. I am satisfied. I am fulfilled. My soul is at peace and at rest. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I don't need anything else. I have a shepherd who guides me everywhere I need to go. And then to the person who may be looking for things to try and satisfy them, here's what the good shepherd says to you. Psalm 1611, Psalm 1611. It says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love the Psalms. It's like this, this poetry book of a shepherd. David, a shepherd king who wrote the majority of the Psalms and he uses this language. He says, he makes known to me, God makes known to me the path of life. In his presence, there's fullness of joy and at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so here's our problem. We live in a world that has for now pleasures And what God is trying to get us to buy into and to to live for are forevermore pleasures. And the for now pleasures are a lot more visible. The for now pleasures are are a little more alluring to the eye initially. And so we're prone to feed on those things, the the for now pleasures, when God is offering forevermore pleasures. And so the good shepherd, what he quite often does is he'll, he'll lead you away from those pastures that you're trying to feed from and he takes you to greener pastures to good food. And he shows you what it looks like to be satisfied in him, to be joyful in him and how he provides and loves you. So the good shepherd feeds his sheep with the right food. And then here's the second thing that the good shepherd does. The good shepherd finds his sheep who have lost their way. The good shepherd finds his sheep who have lost their way. Look at verse 3, Micah 5, 3. he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Again, this is about 700 or so years before the birth of Christ. Micah was long dead by the time that Christ was born, that Mary was pregnant. There was this woman in labor. And Micah, in chapter 5, verse four, verse 3, describes how a woman in labor is going to give birth And the birth of her son, this coming ruler, this coming Messiah, is going to cause a returning of his brothers. That There's going to be a returning of his sisters. There's going to be a a reuniting of God's people. And that word return, sometimes in the Bible, sometimes in the Old Testament, is used to describe a geographic return, point A to point B. But many times this word is used to describe a spiritual return. This passage has in view that the Messiah, that this coming ruler, this shepherd, His birth, his coming into this world will cause a returning of people back home. The good shepherd finds his sheep who have lost their way. You know, I don't don't think there's anybody in this room who is here by accident. I don't think there's a coincidence at all represented. Whether you are invited by someone, whether you're listening online right now or listening to the podcast weeks from now, that every person who is with an ear distance of this message, that God has arranged and orchestrated your life for this moment. He, He has you listening for a purpose and for a reason. And I wonder if perhaps that reason is that you needed to hear, you needed to hear that this Messiah, this Savior, God himself is a good shepherd who finds his sheep when they've lost their way. Maybe you once were, following Christ, you felt close in your relationship with God, you're a Christian. You've put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. You come to church because you you want to grow in your relationship with God, but if you're honest, you've wandered away. That there's something in your life, maybe, maybe something secret, something you don't want anybody else to know about, something that's only experienced behind closed doors, something that that you're terrified of somebody finding out. Maybe there's a sin in your life that all of a sudden you've either fallen back into or you've wandered into. And you're you're a follower of Christ. You've put your trust in Jesus as your savior, but you've wandered away. Perhaps the reason you're here, perhaps the reason you're listening is because the good shepherd is calling to you and reaching out with his shepherd's staff that has that nice little hook on it. And he's reaching out to you and he's pulling you back in. And the good news about the good shepherd is that there's no condemnation. That He's forgiven, his arms are open, that when we wander, just as the old hymn says, we are prone to wander. When we wander, the good shepherd comes and finds us. Here's the thing about playing hide and seek with God. You know, Adam and Eve, they played hide and seek with God when, when they sinned in the garden. They, they sinned, they fell into temptation and so they tried to hide from God. They tried to play this game with God. But here's the thing about playing hide and seek with God. God is better at seeking than we are at hiding. He'll find you wherever, wherever you've been, wherever you've gone, no matter how far he comes. And he is a good shepherd who has a long staff and can reach out and pull you in. And so if you're here, you've got a secret life, you've got some sin in your life, man, the good shepherd is with open arms calling you back. It starts with confession and honesty. It starts with going before God and admitting, clarifying, stating without making light of it what's going on, what's now ruling you instead of your creator. And he welcomes you with grace and he pours out his love on you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And so would you come to him? Would you hear his call to come back home? There's another sense in which the good shepherd finds his sheep who have lost their way. He not only finds his sheep who are Christians, who have, who have wandered away, who have either gone back into sin, he not only finds them and brings them back, he also brings back sheep who don't even know they're his yet. The good shepherd finds sheep who, who perhaps are just realizing they're lost, who to that moment think that they're fine. This is what the good shepherd does. In fact, there's this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. It's a story uh, about a shepherd. And uh, he, Jesus shares this story in front of two very distinct groups of people. On the one hand, on one side, we've got, uh, we've got sinners and tax collectors over here. Now, these people represent the rebels. They're the ones who try to find pleasure in anything and everything. Uh, if they were here, they were, they were at the club last night. They were, they were going crazy, going wild, having a great time. These are these people, they're they're there in front of Jesus. And then over here, the polar opposite, we have the super religious. I mean, we're talking uh, follow all the commandments. Uh, They think they are holier than everybody else. Uh, They try and obey everything, Pharisees and scribes. And so you've got the Pharisees and scribes and you've got the rebellious over here. And the, the, the awesome thing is that Jesus talks to both. He talks to both. And both Listen, and Jesus tells this story about a shepherd. And this shepherd in particular has 100 sheep. And one of those 100 is lost. So the good shepherd, this shepherd, has 99 sheep who are safe and one sheep who has lost its way. And this good shepherd, this shepherd, rather than just saying, well, you know what, 99% is pretty good. It's not worth risking you know, 99 perfectly fine sheep to try and find one guy who probably deserves to be out there anyway. It's his fault, dumb sheep. Rather than that, this good shepherd doesn't do that. He instead leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He leaves the 99, risks the 99. In other words, for this good shepherd, the lostness of the one matters more than the foundness of the 99. And he leaves the 99, he goes after the one. And you can just picture, imagine what it would be like a shepherd trying to follow the tracks of a a lost sheep. I don't know what sheep tracks look like, but going through the the dust uh, around, you know, the ancient Near East, right? Just going through, trying to figure out where this sheep has gone. And finally, the shepherd tracks down his lost sheep. And Jesus describes how this shepherd, upon finding his sheep, rejoices. And he grabs the sheep, he throws the sheep on his shoulders and he brings the sheep back home. And this shepherd puts the other sheep, this sheep back with his flock. And then he says, he starts to throw a party. He rejoices, he invites people, he invites friends and neighbors to celebrate that he found his lost sheep. And then Jesus makes this connection. He says, there's more joy in heaven when one lost sinner, when one lost human being When a person who has been living for themselves, who has thought themselves fine, they didn't even know they were lost, there's more joy in heaven when one lost sinner is found. When one sinner repents than 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. See, here's the problem with with the crowd over here. This crowd over here is lost and they know it. I mean, they're, they're having fun and and doing whatever they like, no regard to whatever God wants. And then this, this crowd over here is lost and they don't know it. They think they're good. They think they're fine. They don't need God's forgiveness. And the point of this story is Jesus is exposing, you're both lost, you both need to be saved. You're both lost and you both need to be found. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, that means you've put your trust in Jesus as your savior. Your story, my story is this story that our good shepherd left heaven, came down to earth, that he came to this earth and he went and found you. And here's the thing, in that story, the sheep, the only thing the sheep contributed in the entire story, the only thing the sheep that was lost did was get lost. He contributed nothing else. The good shepherd is the one who came, who found the sheep, tracked the sheep down, even picked the sheep up to bring it back. The sheep was too weak to come back on its own. And what the good shepherd does is he comes and he finds us because we're too weak to go to heaven on our own. We're too weak to earn God's love and acceptance on our own. So the good shepherd comes, finds us, picks us up on on his shoulders, does all the work and brings us home. The good news of Christmas is that our good shepherd came down for us. And he found us in a helpless situation where we couldn't help or fix ourselves where we were lost, we were living for ourselves. Isaiah 53 says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone astray. We have no regard for what really God desires for us. And even the religious type who try to keep all of the commandments, they don't realize that inside, they too need God's forgiveness. They too need grace. And so the good shepherd comes down and he picks us up and he bears the weight of our sin. And this good shepherd at the end of his life, would become the great sacrifice. And on the cross, Jesus Christ takes on the weight of our sin, takes everything that makes us lost, takes everything that we've done ever against God, all our selfishness, all our lies, all our deceit, all of, all of the rude and hurtful things we've said or done, he takes it all on himself. And Jesus' death on the cross pays for our sin. His death on the cross, his sacrifice was God taking out the judgment that should have been pointed at you and at me. He took that judgment on his own son and Jesus absorbs it all. He pays for everything. The good shepherd become the great sacrifice and his death is the payment for anyone who trusts in him as Savior. Jesus died, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And today, he calls out to you. He's the kind of shepherd who, in a world full of billions of people, will single out one and go after one. And I wonder if today, if there's someone here who, for whatever reason, you found yourself here with us today, whether it's your first time or 30th time, I wonder if there's someone here today who, for the first time, is realizing you're lost but there's a good shepherd who has come to find you. I'm wondering today if it's your day, it's your time to put your trust in this Savior and to receive the free gift of his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works. What those verses mean is that our salvation, going to heaven is not the result of our good deeds, our good acts, we can never be good enough. Just like that sheep was helpless and lost and needed to be picked up, Jesus needed to do all the work for us. He was perfect. His sacrifice was in our place and his resurrection is what we have to look forward to with eternal life. It's Jesus in your place. And anyone who would receive this free gift, who would trust in Jesus as their savior, will be saved. Romans 10, nine and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved from the judgment that should be pointed at you, but Christ took in your place. Will you turn to him today? Would you bow your heads? Just in a quiet moment, if I could just get your attention and ask you not to wander off or think about what's happening after church. If you could just pause for a moment and reflect. Perhaps today is the day where you found yourself here in this place to hear the simple message that God sent, sent someone after you when you were lost. That you, living for yourself, living in sin, living completely without regarding God's desire for your life, that God sent a savior to come and love you and rescue you anyway. The good shepherd, full of love, full of grace, full of mercy, calls out you by name. He singles you out and he invites you to trust in him. If you've never put your trust in Jesus as your savior, if you've never turned to him, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. You can say something like this in your heart, just as a way of expressing what God is doing inside. You can say, God, I need a savior. God, I know I'm lost but I thank you that you sent a good shepherd to come and find me. I thank you that Jesus' death in my place paid for my sins and that you loved me in spite of me. Thank you that Jesus' resurrection gives me eternal life. I turn from my sin, I turn from myself, and I turn to you. Now help me to follow you with my life. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person in this room who made that decision today to turn to the Savior, to come back home. I pray for the people who today realize they were lost and needed to be found. And I ask that you give them the courage to share that with someone. The greatest thing that could ever happen in anybody's life is to realize you've been found by Jesus. That Jesus' death in your place and resurrection is now the story of your life that you are a child of God. Father, thank you so much for loving us and caring for us, for feeding us with the right food and finding us when we've lost our way. We praise your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.